Lexicon Valley is brought to you by Audible.com, a leading provider of spoken audio information and entertainment. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audiblepodcast.com slash lexicon. From Washington, D.C., this is Lexicon Valley, a podcast about language. I'm Bob Garfield with Mike Volo, and today... Episode number 21, titled Undocumented Illegals, wherein we discuss the heated debate over language at the center of U.S. immigration policy. Yo, Mikey. Hey, Bobby. You still wearing your I Voted sticker? (laughs) You know, I actually did have trouble peeling it off my, like, microfiber windbreaker. Uh, It was not a clean peel. This is actually the first time that we've spoken since the election, I think, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. How was it for you? It was good. I, you know, I did what my homosexual socialist puppet masters <laughs> insisted I do, and I voted for Obama and for gay marriage in Maryland. So I'm a big winner. Yeah, you are. You know, I was so sick of the election by the time it came around that the first thing I did Wednesday morning was to delete the Real Clear Politics app from my phone because I don't want to see any <laughs> stats. You deleted the messenger. <laughs> yeah, I did. I killed the messenger. I was awash for the last several weeks in will Obama turn out the young vote like he did in 2008? Will Romney make up the difference by appealing to older rural voters? We here at Lexicon Valley appeal to everybody, as evidenced by a recent iTunes review. I'll read it to you. I listen to a lot of podcasts, but this is the only one that is fascinating to both my mother and me. Thanks for giving us something to share in the car when I visit and chauffeur. I thought that was really nice. That is nice, although I have to apologize to his mom and maybe to him for all the vulgar language that uh, we have intermittently used. I hope no offense was taken. Certainly none was intended. Well, not not much, anyway. <laughs> You know, I'm looking at the review right now, and I just noticed something. If I didn't know that Barack Obama's mother was deceased, I might think that he actually wrote this because the username is not that sort of Kenyan. Aha. In any case, it was, in fact, the election that inspired this episode of Lexicon Valley. It was our ballot in particular. And when I say our ballot, I mean yours and mine, Bob, because we had the exact same ballot. We lived just Mm -hmm. up the road from each other in Maryland. It's true. We're neighbors. You're Mr. Rogers, and I'm Mr. McFeely. (laughs) Well, if you actually voted, and I believe you, I'm guessing that you did, you, like me, had to wade through, let's see, I have it here, a sample ballot, about nine referendum questions. One of them was what's been called the Maryland version of the DREAM Act. Yeah, and the the DREAM Act is the one that attempts to deal with the problem of young people who have no documentation but who were brought to the United States by their parents and had no control whatsoever of their immigration status and so therefore perhaps should be the beneficiaries of all the opportunities that we want for all of our young people. Yeah, and that's a federal bill which has never been passed, but it's had several different incarnations over the past 10, 12 years I'll read just the very beginning of our Maryland ballot referendum. If it were to pass, it, quote, establishes that individuals, including undocumented immigrants, are eligible to pay in-state tuition rates at community colleges in Maryland 
provided the student meets certain conditions relating to attendance and graduation from a Maryland high school, etc., etc. Now, note the use of the phrase undocumented immigrants in that ballot question. Noted. Now, like all good citizens, I wanted to know what our various local publications thought about these ballot questions before voting. So I did some research. If you look at what the D.C. Examiner, for example, wrote, and for those who don't know what the Examiner is, it's, um, I don't know, well, how would you describe it, Bob? An explicitly, often caustically conservative paper? Yeah, I think that that pretty much sums it up. So the Examiner recommends voting against the DREAM Act because it, quote, would give added in-state tuition breaks to those in this country illegally. Now, by way of contrast, there's an online publication called Greater Greater Washington that is, I would say, progressive. And by the way, Bob, I don't know if you're familiar with Greater Greater Washington, but they have what's, in my opinion, one of the best taglines of any publication. It's their sort of equivalent of all the news that's fit to print. You ready? Go ahead. The Washington, D.C. area is great, but it could be greater. (laughs) (laughs) Hence, Greater Greater Washington. (laughs) As a resident of Greater Washington, I admire their vision and I and I wish them the best. They suggest voting for the Dream Act in their endorsement. They never use the word illegal. They do, however, use the phrase "undocumented immigrant." What's interesting is that the Washington Post, which also supported the Maryland Dream Act, wrote an entire editorial about it in which they used some form of the word illegal three times and undocumented three times. So it seems that they're conflicted. And the reason I wanted to talk about this is that I've been conflicted too over this distinction between illegal and undocumented. And I think that in the last you know five or so years, those two words have really become signifiers in a way of a person's kind of conscious, politically inflected language choice. Well, I'm not sure I can throw in with you on that for reasons that I think will eventually become clear in this conversation. But I take the point, particularly if people are straining to use the terms like undocumented and never let the word illegal pass their lips, that does suggest a certain worldview. I guess you're right there. As a matter of fact, Mike, as you know, not long ago on On the Media, which is my day job, I spoke with Jose Antonio Vargas, the journalist who outed himself as an undocumented American and has taken lately to advocating against the word illegal, which he believes is stigmatizing and inaccurate and, as you say, an indicator of a certain political mindset. I didn't necessarily agree with him, and we quibbled on this point, but it certainly is a kind of zeitgeist issue. Yeah, and we'll get to the sort of current debate that's going on in journalistic circles. But before we do that, I think it's important to first establish a little bit of the historical context here. So once upon a time, even when debates about immigration came up in political circles, neither of these words would be invoked. So for example, in 1920, there were hundreds of farmers in Texas and the Southwest, these were largely cotton farmers and vegetable farmers, who were experiencing a really severe labor shortage, in part because of World War I. So a congressman from Texas, his name was Claude Hudspeth, he introduced a bill that would suspend certain provisions of immigration law and allow these farmers to hire Mexicans. 
So this big hearing was held in the House of Representatives, and Hudspeth brought with him telegrams from actual farmers in support of his bill. A farmer named C.L. Jessup wrote, I am operating a 2,000-acre plantation under irrigation. Almost every laborer on the place is a Mexican citizen. If these should be deported and others barred from entering Texas, our plantation would be forced to lie idle. Another farmer named Don Biggers wrote, We go into spring gathering crops, hopelessly behind with work and little help. Negroes gone, whites quit, Mexicans still on job, and only hope. So what you're saying, Mike, is as far back as like 90 years ago, white Texas farmers were agitating for permission to hire what we now call illegals from Mexico. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But hold that thought for a second. Let's first look at the language that's actually used in this hearing in talking about Mexicans. And you can imagine that it's not necessarily flattering. Some of this language was cataloged by an anthropologist at Arizona State University. His name is Luis Placencia. And he points out that throughout the hearing, you see phrases like the Mexicans, these people, these Mexicans, the Mexican labor, peon labor, and wetbacks. (laughs) Whoa. And this was public testimony. That would not stand today, but at a minimum, it certainly makes illegals look not so bad. (laughs) Yeah, and, you know, keep in mind, this is 1920, and actually there's a really interesting exchange during the hearing involving that word wetback. The chairman of the hearing, who was a representative from Washington State, was apparently not very familiar with that word, and he said, quote, Let us get a definition of those terms. What is a wetback? A congressman from Ohio. The reason they are called wetbacks is because they get wet in coming across, is it? Claude Hudspeth from Texas. Yes, they get wet when they swim the river coming to this country. Oh, my God. (laughs) You know, I have some issues with political correctness, but in moments like this, I kind of really appreciate it. So, although terms like wetback were used during this congressional hearing, one term that is never used, and I searched the entire transcript, about 375 pages, is undocumented. Another word that's never used to describe Mexicans is illegal. That word only comes up when, for example, the chairman asks if there have ever been any known instances of illegal voting by Mexicans, or when somebody refers to a tax as illegal, things like that. No, I do remember from my youth, which was not the 20s, Mike, a lot of references to aliens. There would be these notices on TV every year, you know, around the holidays reminding aliens that they have to register with the INS or something like that. Mm-hmm. I don't remember the term illegal alien uh, back in the 60s or 70s, let's say. When did illegal become a uh, recognizable term? to describe those unlawfully in the country. I spoke with a linguistic anthropologist at UMass Amherst. His name is Jonathan Rosa. And he points out that terms like illegal immigrant and illegals first started gaining traction in the press in the late 1930s in a context that had nothing at all to do with either Mexicans or even the United States. Here's Rosa. The Holocaust survivor and Nobel Prize winner Elie Wiesel has very famously promoted the slogan that no human being is illegal. When he suggests this, he's really invoking a history in which 
Jews were targeted as illegal immigrants when they were fleeing Nazi Germany and other nations taken over by the Nazis. This is something that you know many people kind of reflect on with a sense of shame. Yikes. Okay, that's haunting. Yeah, the original illegal immigrants were Jews. And in fact, if you look at the Oxford English Dictionary, you see that all of its earliest citations for these terms are in reference to Jews. So 1939, illegal immigration into Palestine probably dates to Turkish times, but it is now assuming alarming proportions. 1949, the hunting down of illegal immigrants became gradually an obsession with the Palestine authorities. This from a 1960 book about Jewish survivors. The British announced that all future illegals would be taken to Cyprus. You see there, illegal being used as a noun. And in fact, in 1947, a Jewish filmmaker named Meyer Levin made a docudrama about concentration camp survivors wandering in search of a home throughout Europe and Palestine. The movie is called The Illegals. Well, now come to think of it, this is reminiscent of the film Exodus. I never read Leon Uris's book, but I decades ago saw the film, and if memory serves, the whole first half of the movie was about the British administration's attempts to suppress Jewish emigration into Palestine, suppress it at the point of a rifle. Yeah, and in fact, Jeffrey Nunberg, a linguist who's been on this show several years ago, talked about how the British coined illegal as a noun quote, in the 1930s to describe Jews who entered Palestine without official permission, and it has been used ever since as a way of reducing individuals to their infractions. Okay, so that's Palestine in the 30s. When did the term start being applied to undocumented immigrants in the United States, particularly Mexicans and Central Americans? That came about in the sort of mid-1960s, and for a few decades prior to that, the U.S. had what was called the Bracero Program, which was a kind of guest worker program, whereby American companies, mostly agricultural companies, could legally employ Mexicans as laborers, much like what Claude Hudspeth back in 1920 was advocating for in Congress. And in fact, the Bracero Program was started in the early 1940s when there was a labor shortage because of World War II. Like Turkish gastarbeiters in Germany and the rest of Europe. Yes, exactly. This program was discontinued in 1964-1965, which resulted in a dramatic increase in illegal Mexican immigration. And in fact, that's when mid to late 1960s, the word illegal starts getting attached more strongly to people coming here from south of the border. Now, it's funny. In the 60s, when I started seeing these annual notices on you know UHF television at midnight, I never really made the connection between these aliens who were being called upon to register with Mexicans. You know, I imagine somehow that Canadians were flowing over the border, or I don't know, Norwegians or some such, but I lived in uh, Pennsylvania. My only sense in those days of Mexicans had to do with the farm workers movement in California, where Cesar Chavez was trying to codify laws to protect what then were known as simply as migrant laborers, the people who picked strawberries and oranges and so forth seasonally and lived very difficult lives. In fact, that movement was much larger than just California. It's what's known as the Chicano movement, a kind of activist labor, civil rights, and other rights movement 
that was active in many states. And in fact, one prominent activist named Bert Corona is often credited with very consciously using and sort of pushing the term undocumented as an alternative to illegal. And those two terms started to sort of coexist somewhat uneasily throughout the 1970s. And in fact, there's a press conference, a Jimmy Carter press conference from 1977, in which he's asked by a reporter, Mr. President, for many weeks now, you had officials of your administration studying the problem of illegal aliens coming to this country from Mexico. Can you tell us when you will have a policy in place to deal with that and what its main features will be? Carter answers, my guess is that I will have a message to present on the illegal or undocumented aliens probably within the next two weeks. So there they are identified as synonyms. But I have to tell you, Mike, the most interesting word I detected in the reporter's question to President Carter was problem, because this reporter certainly was not on the same page with Mr. Hudspeth from the 20s, mm-hmm. who saw Mexican labor not as a problem, but a solution. Hardworking people willing to work for low wages to fill a labor void created by the marketplace. Yeah, and in fact, that telegram that I read in part from C.L. Jessup, it ends, please help us. I mean, these farmers were desperate for labor, and they saw Mexicans as the solution. But now you see in the 1970s, for people like politicians who choose their words carefully, this was becoming linguistically tricky. So here's a question all radio interviewers like to be able to ask. So then what happened? Well, let's first take a short break and talk about our sponsor, Audible.com. Audible is a leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the Internet. You can choose from more than 100,000 audiobooks and listen to them on just about any device. Audible has a special 30-day free trial for Lexicon Valley listeners, during which you get one free audiobook of your choice. Visit audiblepodcast.com slash lexicon, where you can find thousands of books to choose from, including classics, children's books, everything in between. Your membership includes a free subscription to either the New York Times or Wall Street Journal Daily Audio Digest. Give it a try. Use the URL that Audible set up for Lexicon Valley listeners, audiblepodcast.com slash lexicon. All right, so that's some of the historical context. And, you know, I said before that we would talk about how it's playing out now in more journalistic circles. So if you look at the past decade, in 2005, Frank Luntz, who is a Republican language strategist, I guess you'd call him, Republican language propagandist, I think some people would call him. Yeah, Mike, he's the one who, for example, coined the term death tax to describe the federal inheritance tax to get across the idea that the greedy hands of big government are going through your pockets even as you lie still in your coffin. Yeah, and in fact, he wrote a book around this time called Words That Work. It's not what you say, it's what people hear, which gives you a sense of what his philosophy of language is. (laughs) He published a memo in 2005 called The Principles and Language of Immigration Reform. This was a kind of primer for Republicans on how to talk about immigration. There's one word that appears more than any other, I would wager, with the possible exception of, you know, like a or the, and that's illegal. It occurs 160 times in 25 pages. Now, Luntz's essay wasn't just him thinking out loud. It was was a linguistic action plan nailed to the doors of 
American conservatism. It was a kind of call to action because in 2005, Congress was debating what was called the Sensenbrenner Bill. It was sponsored by Jim Sensenbrenner, a Republican from Wisconsin. And it was a very sort of restrictive immigration bill. It had a whole bunch of provisions. It was, you know, 250 pages long or something. But, you know, some of the more notable ones were that if local police anywhere in the U.S. detained somebody who was here illegally, they would have to turn them over to the federal government. You couldn't just let them go. Also, under certain circumstances, if you were caught housing somebody who was here illegally, it would be considered a felony crime and you could go to jail for three years. Oh, my God. Talk about haunting echoes of Nazi Germany. Goodness gracious. This bill actually passed in the House. Then there were these really large protests all around the country in early 2006. It did not pass in the Senate. It was right around this time when lots of news outlets were writing about the Sensenbrenner bill and immigration reform that the debate over language between illegal and undocumented really started to play out internally in news organizations and among journalists. In 2006, the National Association of Hispanic Journalists officially sort of disavowed the use of the word illegal and recommended undocumented. The Associated Press, which has a very widely used style book among journalists, uh, has over the last several years held their ground with illegal, even over the questions and objections of some of their employees. And in 2011, the Society of Professional Journalists passed a resolution saying, quote, only the court system, not reporters and editors, can decide when a person has committed an illegal act. They voted to encourage discussion and reevaluation of the use of illegal immigrant in news stories. On the other hand, as recently as about six weeks ago, the New York Times affirmed the usage of illegal on the grounds of it's hard to be wrong by calling a thing by its name. The reasoning is, and I have to say I mostly agree with this, that being unlawfully within the borders, whether you were brought here by your parents or whether you have overstayed a visa or what have you, is against the law. And the shortest synonym for that is illegal. And they're concerned about the kind of linguistic revisionism, which robs perfectly legitimate adjectives and nouns of their meaning in an attempt to destigmatize them. Getting back to political correctness, here's what's bad about it. So often, it seems to me, with the perfectly noble motive of wanting to destigmatize people for things that are not necessarily their fault, we have lost meaning in just a whole slew of words from physical disabilities to ethnic background to you name it. And I'm not sure I want illegal to be the latest casualty in the linguistic wars. I asked Jonathan Rosa what he thought about these news organizations sort of standing by their belief that illegal remained neutral and accurate. Here's a couple of minutes of the conversation I had with him. It's frustrating to see folks try to claim that something like illegal is neutral or accurate, when it clearly is more about staking out a claim to a political identity as conservative. And undocumented is about staking out a, a political identity as liberal or progressive. I mean, neither of them is neutral. So if both of these terms come preloaded, in a sense, with an agenda, what's the alternative? You know, for somebody like me who doesn't really 
like using either of these words, should I sort of split the difference and say undocumented illegals or something? (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I understand the frustration. And it's interesting. On the one hand, I want to be able to say, look, I get that this is a practical, logistical problem, right? Actually having language to use to characterize this situation. However, I, I hesitate to simply frame this as a matter of language, right? To suggest that if we come up with a magically, you know, completely neutral term. Problem solved. Yeah, problem solved. All we need is a better phrasing, right? And so I don't want people to think that, oh, you know, listen to the scholars, how naive they are. They think this is just semantics. But language is really important because as the Frank Luntzes of the world understand, language is what can really help shape public policy. Yeah, absolutely. And others have pointed out, for example, that, okay, you know, we talk about certain kinds of biologists and we call them marine biologists but that doesn't mean that they're from the sea or something like this, you know, that they were born in the water. You know, you can say that someone is an illegal immigrant, just like you can say that someone is illegally parked. But if, in fact, we look at how some of these usages, how they work in context, there's this way that illegality maps onto one's entire person. You know, we see slogans that say things like illegal immigrant hunting permit, This has concrete consequences in the sense that, you know, in the FBI's most recent annual report, Latinos constituted two-thirds of the victims of ethnically motivated hate crimes. This usage of illegal is a way of framing an entire population regardless of their migration status. So you have many people who are born citizens of the United States, but because of the way that this notion of illegal has racialized connotations, their citizenship status is called into question. Mm -hmm. We should be really cautious about how we frame entire populations, because much like we look back at that moment in which Jews who were attempting to survive, we look back on this moment with shame. The question is whether we'll look back on this moment similarly. Okay, Mike, his invocation once again of the Holocaust does give one pause, and I certainly take his point. But can I give you another example of something that's not quite as freighted with historical nightmare or contemporary political ideology? Remember when when people who could not see were called blind? Now, blind is a perfectly legitimate word. It describes the condition and equally describes those so afflicted. And yet it became deemed stigmatizing to people who couldn't see. So all of a sudden, the blind ceased to be blind. They began to be visually handicapped. But then, oh no, handicapped was itself stigmatizing. Then maybe visually impaired, but even that seems to have an edge to it. So now people are not handicapped or impaired or disabled, but they're challenged. And sometimes they're differently abled. And it goes on and on, you know, well into absurdity. What happens, it seems to me, is that each of the words chosen to replace the word supposedly stigmatizing itself eventually becomes stigmatizing because it takes on all of the stigma attached to the condition itself. It's not the word that's stigmatizing, it's the condition. And Luntzian linguistics can't change that. I want to make two points by way of pushing back, because as I mentioned before, I really have been conflicted about this over the past couple of years. So one, Jonathan Rosa talked about the larger context in which this word illegal is often used. And there's a linguist at UCLA, his name is Otto Santa Anna, who looked at the metaphors that people use to describe 
illegal immigration and illegal immigrants. And in particular, he looked at the Los Angeles Times in the mid-90s when Proposition 187 was a huge topic of conversation in the national media. Proposition 187 was another one of these ballot initiatives that was very restrictive with regard to immigration policy. There were about 116 LA Times articles from 1992 to 1994 that he looked at. The second most popular metaphor to describe illegal immigration was war-related, like an invasion or a takeover. These were words that came up in news reports, often quoting sources or even quoting Governor Pete Wilson, who was the governor of California at the time. Yeah, I think the war imagery just narrowly edged out pestilence, such as swarming over the border. Exactly. Disease and burden was also one of the sort of secondary metaphors. Can you guess what the dominant metaphor was, the one that was used about 60% of the time? Mm, I don't know. It was some sort of dangerous water type metaphor. Flood, surge, some of the words that were used were sea, tide, influx, waves, drowning, pouring, streaming, swamping. He also looked, as I mentioned, at metaphors that people use to describe the immigrants themselves, the people, not just the idea of illegal immigration. Some of the sort of secondary metaphors were, again, war-related, invader, soldier, water-related, body-related, parasites. Guess what the dominant metaphor was for immigrants? Okay, I give up. Animal-related, some Ah. sort of hunting metaphor. And so, for me, illegal appears within the larger context of a kind of dehumanizing language around this issue. That's one really important point for me. The second is that I think calling a group of people illegal for coming to this country for work totally ignores and obscures, I think, the role that companies and the government has played in recruiting this labor. I mean, we saw that in 1920. We saw it with the Bracero program. We've seen it in more recent times when corporations are encouraged to sort of look the other way because they want cheap labor. You know, for those two reasons alone, that's enough to sort of knock me off the fence and look for a different word. And, you know, I asked Jonathan Rosa, what's the alternative? And he mentioned unauthorized as a possible term that isn't politically charged. And in fact, the day after the election, I was reading The New Yorker online and they listed a number of sort of policy proposals and issues that they thought Obama would try to tackle in his second term, one of which was immigration reform. And they said that the goal should be to, quote, pass the DREAM Act, make a deal with Republicans on a comprehensive immigration bill that includes a path to legalization for unauthorized immigrants. Mm -hmm. And I thought, well, you know, I think I could live with that word. And to me, that is the differently abled of immigration policy. It doesn't even mean anything. It's so expansive, unauthorized. What does it mean you don't have a pass to get backstage? I think that gets to the very nub of why it is very dangerous to try to use linguistic revisionism as a means to pursue social policy. It just kind of misses the point and bastardizes language and obscures meaning. So 
I think your argument has made me solidify mine. I actually don't think we're all that far apart on this, Bob, because I think that while you understand the sort of dehumanizing effect of casting an entire population as illegal and how that term then becomes associated with Mexicans, whether they're citizens or not, and I understand that it's important to call things by their name, we can sort of touch hands right across the fence here. So maybe we'll just sort of throw this out to our listeners and ask them, tell us what you think. Has this word illegal become far too stigmatized for the various points that I've made, or does it remain accurate and useful for the points that Bob has made? You can write to us at slatelexiconvalley at gmail.com. That's slatelexiconvalley at gmail.com. You can find all of our past episodes at slate.com slash lexiconvalley. Please, if you haven't already, subscribe to our feed in iTunes, where you can leave a rating and a review. I want to thank Jonathan Rosa at UMass Amherst and Andy Bowers, the executive producer of Slate's podcast. All right, Mike, are we done here? Yep, we are done. Okay, later, Gator. See you, Bobby. Bobby.